How many of you have ever experienced this? You take a bite of a delicious, well-spiced piece of food. Maybe it's a steak that has just the right salt and pepper rub on it, or some Indian or Thai or, or Middle Eastern food overflowing with flavor, and maybe just a tad spicy hot. And you take that bite, ah, and it is so good, and you're blown away by it, and you can't believe just how good it is, and then you immediately pick up your water and drink it. And as soon as you've picked up your water and taken a drink, most of that flavor gets washed away, but the burning has stopped. You like the flavor, though, so you go back for another bite because you know it's going to be good. And in this pattern, you rapidly chew through your food and are quickly left with only a lingering hint of taste and a conviction that the meal was a good 12-minute experience. I can fall prey to this, especially with hot, spicy food, but I've been trying to change that behavior. I've been trying to set up a new pattern. When I take a bite and I find myself reflexively reaching for that water, I stop and I let my mouth water and I let it explode and revel in that flavor. That is savoring a meal. With a few short words that communicate big ideas and realities, psalms express what cannot be fully explored in a lifetime. We are sure to meet God in them because for the psalms to be so deep, it must speak of him. Because it is so deep, I'm going to look at the psalm from a specific angle, and we're going to take a very small bite, and then we're going to savor it. The angle at which I want to bite into the psalm is found in verses 4 and 5. In the ESV it says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. So what's David saying? He's telling God, help me to get to know you. Show me who you are. Be near to me that I might know you and your ways. This is where we always start. We establish who God is because as the creator, everything finds its meaning and its sense in relation to him. This is why as Christians in the Anglican tradition, we start prayers the way we do. The Lord be with you. Exactly. We start the prayers by orienting ourselves to God in our whole being. This is also why we use colics to train us how to pray and to remind us. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. After we start with God, Almighty God, we remind ourselves about who he is, which grounds what we are going to ask him for or praise him about. In this case, it's the Almighty God who sees. So let's look at our psalm. David is asking God for quite a lot in this psalm, 
But what aspects of God's character in nature does he ground his requests in? I'm in verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So in verse 6, David asks God to remember his mercy and his steadfast love. In verse 7, he references God's goodness. And in verse 8, he says that God is upright. This, this is who our God is. He's a God of mercy. And the word in Hebrew means compassion. It's this image. And, and Hebrew is unlike English, and it's unlike Greek. It, it speaks in word pictures all the time. It's this image of a womb and the tender cherishing of a baby therein. It means giving and interacting out of love and not on the basis of behavior of the other person. David says, God is upright. This literally means straight, and figuratively, it means pleasing or that which is approved of. It is the aspect of God's nature that makes him constantly devoted to the good. Good, translated from the Hebrew here, means good and favorable character or nature. Steadfast love. The word David uses means kindness towards anyone. And when it's used to describe God specifically, it's his favor towards all men. Sometimes this is translated covenant faithfulness. It's an attribute of reliability, not just for the sake of his character, but out of love for a desire for good to come to all of us as a result of God's faithfulness to his promises. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. God's ways come from God's nature. And the nature of the living God is that he is compassionate, tenderly caring for you as a parent cherishes an unborn child and always acts towards you out of his love and a desire for your good. He is straight and dependable, and his character is favorable. It is faithful to every promise, not because we deserve his faithfulness, but because his love could not conceive of failing to fulfill his promises to us. In his psalm, David not only confesses God's nature, but then he references what he calls God's way, his standard actions. In verse 5 and 9, he talks about God leading the humble. In 4 and 9, teaching the humble. In 12, instructing those who fear him. And in 14, that he makes known his covenant, that he makes his promises known to those who fear him. And then 15, that he plucks feet out of nets. It's this idea of your feet bound up and entrapped and you have been caught and God rescues you from that situation. So what's our takeaway? Our takeaway is we need to orient ourselves to God and interact with him on the basis of who he is. If you work off of assumptions or feelings, you'll make God out to be something like ourselves, and we will consider him 
a capricious, impatient, angry, vindictive God. Oh, you may not say you believe that, but you'll behave that way. At least, sometimes I do. Let's test that. Think back with me. Have you ever sinned and then felt like hiding and you didn't want to read your Bible and you didn't want to pray and you certainly didn't want to confess your sin to God and ask for forgiveness? You just wanted to crawl into a dark place and be forgotten. Why? Was it you were convinced he was a loving God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast mercy? Did you think to yourself, he cherishes me as a defenseless child whom he would die for to protect? No, no, we didn't. If we are honest with ourselves, we were worried. We were worried that he would reject us because of our filth, because of our sin. Do you see? Do you see why from this pulpit, from this scripture, continually baptism comes up? Your baptism is so important, friends. It's so important because in your baptism, you were made to be God's child. You were restored in relationship with Him. It was given you to be saints in light. It makes all the difference. So let us be tutored by King David, who knew what it was to come to God with blood-stained hands and ask for forgiveness. Later, look at Psalm 32. He wrote it after he had come asking forgiveness, and see how God treated him. We need to continually look at Scripture to remind us of God's nature and how he acts towards us as sinners. And then run to him, run to him when we need help and forgiveness and dance, dance for him with joy of the good gifts and the fatherly care that he gives us. Look with me again at our two main verses, verses four and five. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Notice in verse 5 that David confesses God to be the God of his salvation. Now this is an old story. You've heard it many times. It's well seasoned, but don't reach for your glass of water quickly. Savor this. Dwell on this. This is the gospel that God in his loving kindness and mercy desires to save you. I know many of you have heavy burdens on your shoulders. I know that many of you may be wondering how, or maybe if, God is going to care for you. It's not a distant concept. We've talked about God's nature, so let us remind ourselves of his promise. All the way back in Genesis 3, God talks to Adam and Eve after they eat the fruit, and this is what he says. The Lord God said to the servant, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you should go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the very promise of Christ, who would come and destroy Satan's death. Here at the very beginning, God says, in the fullness of time, Jesus was to be born, to live a sinless life and die for your sins, so that in your baptism and through your faith, you might be made children of God and be justified. Friends, we, the church, we will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. There is a resurrection of the dead coming. God will make all things new. That promise is for you, and God keeps his promises. But sometimes that feels a long ways off. Sometimes we forget the hope that we have and the loving care we enjoy because at the moment we have unpaid bills and empty refrigerators and health problems that are not going away. Within the last couple of weeks, I was praying, and I find myself wondering, what's the point? The aid I'm asking for from God doesn't seem to be appearing. So why am I putting the effort into this praying? Because, no lie, I was not feeling like putting the effort into praying about that. I sat and I mulled that over for a couple minutes, and then my discipleship kicked in. How many times has it been explained that we use colics because it reminds us of God's nature? How many times have I reminded and been reminded by others that we must always take the long view and matters trusting in God? Look with me again at verse 5. You are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. King David says, For you, for you, God of my salvation, I will wait. The Hebrew word here is kavah, and it means to tie to, to endure. It's this image of a person who, knowing that something is their greatest hope and assurance, in the face of all things, has lashed themselves, has bound themselves to God and said, I will wait. I will wait for you. I will wait for your aid because where else could I go? This reminds me of St. John's Gospel, the sixth chapter. After many of Jesus' disciples, not the twelve, had left him because of hard teaching, Jesus asked the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Peter replies, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter is saying, if this is who you are, Jesus, if this is your place in reality, where else would I go? Where else could I go? Based on who you are, where else would I want to go? Friends, saints, beloved of God, Listen to King David and never forget that we have bad memories. 
And Satan, Satan is a good liar. So it's important. It's important for us to stay in this word and look for God's character. Be reminded of his action and continually remember who he is. And having been reminded of that, come to him as you would a loving father, your greatest hope. Bind yourself to him because he is the God of your salvation. And the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And then live for Christ. I tell you to bind yourself to God and and David reminds us to and wait for him when your needs are greater than you can handle. But I also admonish you I admonish all of us, for we have been raised up and seated with Christ. We, we are his hands and feet in the world, the body of Christ, and faithful witnesses to him amongst a desperate world. Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan and then admonishes, go and do likewise. Love your neighbor, especially here amongst the body Paul tells us in Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Maybe your refrigerator isn't empty and all your bills are paid. Regardless, all of us have good works prepared for us. So go and do today. And I don't mean this as a concept. Literally, today, look around you. Look for the good works that God has called you to and serve him with gladness. For you, for we, are free to do this through the blood of Christ. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.